0: What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sayles, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, everybody. Larry Wilmore here. Uh, We have a very special episode today. The great and legendary Norman Lear passed away this week, as you all know. Um, I was very influenced by Norman Lear's comedies in the uh, early 70s. really was a huge influence on me. It's one of the reasons why I'm actually in television today. And I got the chance to meet Norman Lear a couple of times uh, he came to a table read we had once at the nightly show, and I got a chance to spend some time with him and talk to him. It was amazing uh, when you're able to speak to someone who you really admired early on. Uh, he was on the show. And then when I started this particular podcast, the great Norman Lear was my very first guest. And we had such a great conversation. Um, Norman Lear was very generous with this time to many people, to many writers over the years. He not only blazed a trail for many of my contemporaries and and uh, other people who did this, but he was, you know, he was very generous in his later years, especially with uh, supporting people and rooting for people, and you know, um, just being there, <laughs> you know, for people. He was an inspiration. And um, admired by many. Anyhow, we miss you, Norman. Uh, I'm going to replay that special episode of my first podcast today for everybody. So I hope you enjoy this replaying of my talk with the great Norman Lair. I am very honored to have on the show the legendary, the man responsible (laughs) for such classics as All in the Family, Maude one day at a time, which is still
2: on the air. One day at a time, which is way. back on the air as a Latina family.
1: Yes, and two, shows too numerous to mention. Uh, films, activism. He's the one and only Norman Lair. How you doing, Norman? If I had a complaint, I'd be an ingrate.
2: <laughs> and
1: I'm glad to be with you again, Larry. Yes, you know it was such a joy meeting you. Uh, I think it was two years ago. Is before we launched uh-huh. the uh, nightly show. You're in New York, and you stopped by. And you said hi to us. We were all like, oh, my God, Norman Lear's here. Oh, my God, Norman Lear.
2: No, it was so exciting. That's what my kids say every time I walk into the really? room. Oh, my God, Norman Lear. <laughs> I say, oh, my God, Dad, you're still here? That- <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still here, I am. <laughs> that's what everybody's thinking. <laughs> I know. It's-
1: well, that's interesting. I mean, you have seen so much
2: you know, do you ever get preachy with your kids about things? Or really- I, God, I hope the answer to that question is no. <laughs> I don't think so. I would wish not do to Do your be. kids
1: have an appreciation for who you are? How many kids do you have?
2: I have six. Uh-huh. Uh, my children range, those six, from twins who are 21, yeah. soon to be 22, Very good. to uh, a 70-year-old. Wow. 22 to 70. You have fathered the century, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And they're great. And the best thing I've got going in this life is that they all want to be together. Oh, that's nice. So come those times when we can be together, everybody loves it. That's fantastic. Um,
1: Here's what I wanted wanted to throw this at you. So there's a megalomaniac in the White House. Yes. Uh, The country feels divided. We see racism erupting on television, demonstrations happening all the time. Uh, we seem to be in a war that nobody can define that seems to go on forever. Uh, we're going through a cultural change that we've never seen before. And the country has seemed to lost all confidence in the institutions. And the president is a liar. <laughs> I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking <laughs> You're not talking about right, no.
0: right now. <laughs> I'm talking You're talking about, about
1: nineteen seventy one. Yes. Nin- Yes, that was the climate that you created all in the family. It's it's eerie how it seems like it's today. You know, it feels like we're we're having we
2: human of the species a difficult time growing up.
1: Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. We're having cultural deja vu right now. But uh, television was so different. Back then. And you dared to put on a show that put all those issues on television. My question is, how the hell did you do that?
2: How is that possible? Well, well, two things. (laughs) It was occasioned by two incidents in my life. I was being divorced. Okay. Living in New York, working on the Martha Ray Show. And uh, a friend, Phil Sharp, was coming through. Uh Uh, He was being divorced with four children. Wow. I said, my, and I was having a really difficult time in sure. my situation. I said, "Phil, how's it going with you?" He said, "Easy. All she wants was my Joan Davis reruns."
1: Okay. He had right. done
2: the Joan Davis. If I you love remember, that. Her, she was a wonderful, my Joan wonderful comedian. Davis
1: Reruns. That's fantastic.
2: And I had been doing nothing but live television, mm-hmm. uh, where we owned nothing. Yeah. And so I thought, I've got to do a situation comedy. Yeah, you needed
1: you needed some money because you you had some money to pay off.
2: Yes, you had some checks to write within <laughs> days. I think <laughs> days of uh, of that conversation. Mm-hmm. My partner, Bud Yorkin, was in London doing a film. I was doing the Mount Horatio. He was doing a film. Sure, and he called and he told me about this show that he saw called. Uh, uh, oh, it's killing me that I can't remember it. <laughs> I got I got the rights to it mm-hmm. because I grew up with a father mm-hmm. who called me the laziest white kid he ever met.
1: Really, and he, I, and he
2: specified white. The, the laziest white kid you ever met. I said wow. you're putting down. A, I'd fight with him. You're putting down a race of people to call me lazy. Yeah, and he said that's uh, not what I'm doing. And you're the dumbest white kid I ever met. Wow. So that was an expression of I grew up with an Archie Bunker-ish kind of guy. So your dad was the inspiration for Archie? Uh, No, the guy that played the uh, uh, Till Death Us Do Part. That's the title of the show. Till Death Do Us Part. That's right. Yes. No, Till Death Us Do Part. Ah, got it. And uh, uh, he was the inspiration. My father was like him. That's why I felt comfortable writing him. Okay. Because I grew up with that.
1: So the character it was based on had those characteristics, but you were able to relate to it because of your dad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Who went, by the way, to prison when I was nine years old? Wow, you were nine and,
1: years old, and your dad was in prison.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, how and long that, was he in prison? He was in prison for three years. Uh-huh. When he came out, did he get all tatted up? When he came out, we were on a train <laughs> to New York, where we. It turned out we were going to live. My mother, my sister, and I, and my father, uh-huh. with another couple who also had two kids, uh-huh. in a small apartment. <laughs> While uh, well, he York? looked for a job, was this in New York? In New York, yeah. Uh-huh, right. And uh, but on the train, we met him in New Haven. Mm-hmm. On the train to New York, my father sitting with me said, uh, "You're going to be by mitzvah next year.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Well, for your by mitzvah, I'm going to take you and your mother and your sister for a trip around the world. Yeah. We'll be gone six months. So that was my father." He was always going to have a million dollars in right. ten days to two weeks. Was he kind of a dreamer then? Or? He was a uh, the sharpest word I could, I have for him. I loved him so much, despite the fact that he never kept a promise and mm-hmm. and he broke the law. And, wow. uh, but he was a, a rascal is my favorite word. Rascal. For him. Yeah, he that's, was a rascal. That's the softening of
1: it, I yeah, guess, with the... As
2: soft as I can make
1: it. Well, we have to... I think many times we we put on rose-colored glasses to look at our family and our upbringing and that type of thing, no matter how, you know, how rascally our parents can be. Whatever
2: gets us through.
1: You know, what did America feel like to you growing up? Did you have a sense of what it felt like? Because it certainly has changed in your lifetime, I think. Um, I
2: took... I love the question because it allows me to think about civics class. Uh-huh. When my father went to prison, uh-huh. there was a guy by the name of Father Coughlin. Father Coughlin. Coughlin. Uh-huh. Yeah, on radio. Uh-huh. He hated you because you're black. He hated me because I'm Jewish. Yeah. He hated uh, FDR because he was the New Deal. Wow. Uh, he was an all-round hater. And... Uh, He'd have scared the shit out of me, but for one thing, I was taking civics classes. They taught civics in public schools, mm-hmm. and I knew that my in my America, he was the bad guy. Right. I was okay. Uh, that in this America, we are equal under the law, mm-hmm. uh, equal justice, equal opportunity. We haven't made good on those promises for yeah. everybody.
1: Now, it's interesting you say in your civics class because you didn't get that at home, it feels like. Oh, I got that in a public school. You got that in a public school. Yes,
2: we don't have them anymore. Yeah. It probably was one of the first things to go. And it couldn't have been Democrats that yeah. go back on, uh, yeah. well, on such.
1: Those were the days when patriotism didn't seem like a partisan issue.
2: No. On December 7th, 1941, mm-hmm. We were. I was at Emerson College. My first semester, sure. We were, we we're we were rehearsing a play on uh, One Thirty Beacon Street on the Charles River. I love and, how
1: you remember all these details from so I, I long ago. It, well, that's I, I wrote. I wrote, the,
2: I wrote my book. Oh, okay. I, yes. In but the last still,
1: that you have instant recall of
2: these details are it's, amazing to me. Yeah, I, I surprised myself. I Somebody, can't
1: remember what I had for
2: breakfast yesterday. I'm serious. Uh, okay,
1: so it's December 7th, 1941.
2: Somebody came running down the stairs to say they had just bombed Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Two days later, we were at war. And not a lot of people even knew what Pearl
1: Harbor was at that time.
2: I don't and, think I knew it. Yeah. But, I mean, I learned everything I needed to know in 30 yeah. minutes. We I, all, I
1: think a joke at the time was, what did they do to Pearl Bailey? What happened?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! It There's was some but a joke. old school joking for
1: you, everybody. A little old school, but,
2: but anyway, it it was uh, you know in my lifetime that was the war where there was no doubt mm-hmm. who were the good guys, right? Who uh, were the bad guys?
1: Good and evil were clearly marked.
2: Clearly, clearly. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you volunteer I, for the war? Were you, I did. Uh, uh-huh. You were you didn't have to go if you were in college, but okay. I wanted to go. My mother begged me not to. She said she'd die. Wow. I said, that's what's supposed to happen to us in the Army, not you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, How
1: did your dad feel about so it? So
2: maybe six months or so or eight months, uh, I listened to her uh-huh. begging me not to, and then I couldn't bear it anymore. And I enlisted. Uh-huh. And I flew. I was with the 15th Air Force out of Foggia, Italy. I dropped bombs 35 times. Uh-huh. Flew 52 missions. I'm an American, so I always use the larger figure.
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> 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 I imagine fifty-two. Yes, of course. Now, what does that do for a twenty-year-old? I mean, today's be—it's so hard to imagine, especially in those days. It seems like I don't know. I'm making this up. I could be wrong, but there, there's a part of me that feels like a lot of people were sheltered in those days. But then, because of the depression, there was a lot of growing up that people did in those days that they don't do these days. I think there's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of awareness that young people have these days in terms of the culture and that sort of thing because of the way we get information. But I think there was a lot of hard living that people did in your day that made people grow up in a different way. Mm -hmm. How fast do you grow up, though, when you go to Italy and you're dropping
2: bombs at 20 years old? Larry, based on a very recent experience, Mm -hmm. I was um, in Italy with my wife uh, within the last year. We were very friendly with, the, with John Emerson and Kimberly, his wife, who were the um, uh, ambassadors uh, in Berlin.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And we had a few extra days we called. They said, oh, please come. We went. My wife and I were in the air flying to Berlin. I had done this once before.
0: Uh-huh.
2: As a matter of fact, two years ago, I don't know how the, this part of the Air Force learned that the last mission, or one of the last missions I flew, was the longest mission in the European theater. Wow. From Foggia, Italy to Berlin. Mm-hmm. to Berlin. And, 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 and what kind of plane was that? And, and a B-17. B-17. Okay. And they had found a uh, Tuskegee Airman. Yes. His name was Roscoe Brown. And, uh, That's a great he, name. Yeah. And he had flown that <laughs> mission with me. Mm-hmm. So he had flown... Uh, you know, in the P fifty one, they were protecting us,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the Tuskegee guys. They found him and me, and we led the veteran's day parade oh, two man. years ago. That's fantastic. It, it was fabulous. It was fabulous. Uh, so we're flying my wife and I to Berlin, and I'm remembering mm-hmm. all of this and remembering as the I was the radio operator. I had the top gun. And I was the radio operator, right. so I was I was closest to the Bombay doors, so I had to kind of get up a little bit out of my seat mm-hmm. and look over. I was the one who saw the bombs leave the Bombay. Right. When the last bomb left, I could notify the pilot so that he could close the doors. Right. So that was my job. The thirty-five times we dropped bombs, so I was the guy who could see our drums bombs leave the plane. Right. Then a moment later, gather with the bombs from all the other planes around us, and I'd watch hundreds of bombs wow. flying. And I'd think, uh, all of them, done. one misses the target and hits yeah. a farmhouse. Right. I even imagined a family sitting around a table. Yeah. And I remember thinking, my teeth grit when I say it the way I felt it then. Fuck them. Yeah. I didn't care if it hit a farmhouse. But I don't know whether it was going home the first time this happened or, uh-huh. or, uh, or or weeks later. But at some point, I imagined somebody coming to me with a pencil and paper and saying, Miss Lee, if you sign this, you will forever mean you don't give a damn uh-huh. if it hits a farmhouse. And I know to my toes I would not sign that. Right. I would not sign that even though this took place at a time when there are fighters all over the place trying yeah. to get to us and, and 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 flack from down below, I would not sign that. I believe that right now. But the fact of my existence is that I've not been tested. Mm-hmm. Thank God I was never tested. Yeah. That suggests to me that I reach to understand the commonality of the human experience. Yeah.
0: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com.
1: You seem to have a a specific moral compass very early on from how you're talking. And and it feels like that moral compass is what you brought onto television for us. How hard was it in the first show in all in the family of of doing that? I mean, I've done shows before and there's always obstacles to getting any show on the air. I always say shows are successful in spite of what the network does, not because of, not slamming the networks, but, you know, as a writer, no, it's very difficult to, to have a pure vision. right? Not saying All in the Family was a pure vision because it was based on something, but it certainly was bold for its time and unheard of. I mean, the Smothers Brothers had just been kicked off, well, at that time they uh-huh. weren't kicked off yet, but they were about to be kicked off just for doing their skits about about uh, Vietnam and that sort of thing. So what, what were the big obstacles to getting that content on the air at first?
2: Well, starting with the language, yeah. but, you know, I, I had told them, it doesn't, if Archie can't be Archie, there's no point in having a conversation. Yeah. I have to tell you what the storyline was. Okay. It was a short storyline that was, they were celebrating, it was their 25th wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. It was a Sunday. They were in church. Mike and Gloria were preparing a surprise brunch with balloons and so forth. And uh, they finished early, the the brunch, and Michael realized they had the place alone, which didn't happen, and he got Gloria (laughs) to go upstairs with Right, right. They were no sooner upstairs closed the bedroom door when the front door opened. Archie and Edith come in. He hated the minister. He hated the ceremony. That's great.
1: That's awesome.
2: And uh, they hear the door, uh, the front door close, and they come running down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Archie assesses the moment, and he says, 1130 thirty of a Sunday morning." <laughs> that line had to come out.
1: No way! Yeah, yes,
2: no way! Why did that line have to come out? Well, because it puts a picture in the audience's mind. Wow! Well, but they run upstairs, and they're going to—you know what they're yeah. going to do when they go upstairs? Yeah. And and they're married. And they're, yes. Yeah. Uh, and no, you uh But, but when he says 1130, it makes it specific of a Sunday morning. It makes it specific and yeah. so on. Now.
1: I love we that he were can we, we, Jews, blacks, Puerto Ricans, but people can't have sex <laughs> at 1130 on Sunday morning. <laughs> we were
2: working on the fifth or sixth or whatever episode, mm-hmm. writers, that is. And uh, the day the show was to air. Uh-huh. And uh, I heard that they were taking the line out in New York three hours earlier than it was to play in L.A. Wow. And my, I had said to them, take that line out, and I won't be here tomorrow morning. And you didn't have much leverage at that time.
1: The show wasn't a hit yet, right? Oh, no, no it hadn't been on. This right. is
2: this is the first episode. Right. It's about to go on
1: in New York. No, you had the courage of your convictions yeah. And-
2: and they, I, I heard like 20 minutes before it was going to go on in New York, three hours and 20 minutes earlier here, yeah, that uh, the line would be in, they uh-huh. weren't taking it out. Wow, it's still a funny line, so <laughs> it's yes, and yeah. the, it went, and uh, no states seceded from the union. Wow, yeah, <laughs>
1: the world kept turning, you know, the
2: world kept turning.
1: What was interesting about Archie now that show really hit i think me and my brother at the time in right in the middle you
2: have one one brother
1: yeah oh no i have two brothers uh, but my, my the middle brother, Mark, we were very close in age, and uh-huh. we used to make each other laugh when we go to sleep and that type of stuff. We used to do impressions. In fact, Archie and Edith were some of our earliest impressions yes. that we would do. Oh, geez, Edith, get away from me, you. We would always do that. <laughs> oh, Archie. Oh, so, yeah, Oh, so that's different. a good Edith. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but uh, gee,
2: I, all my style ran great.
1: <laughs> that was what it did. Um, But it always was interesting to me, especially, you know, as a young black kid, that Archie was lovable. Like, I find that a subversive moment on television, that a Uh bigot is lovable. I would assume that you got both people that loved him for the wrong reasons
2: and people that maybe liked him for... No, you're quite right. Different reasons? But, but, and this is... The heart of America. Yeah. I'm about this, the heart of the American as the American is. Mm-hmm. I never got a letter from anybody who was feeling and thinking right on Archie. Really? That didn't suggest I was some kind of a son of a bitch. Every single letter that, that, uh-huh. that, that said right on Archie or asked me to go back where I came from, you Jew bastard.
1: Right. Because they felt Archie was a real person, actually, and
2: <laughs> because they understood, yes. because in their gut they understood, didn't change them. I'm yes. not saying we made new people of them, right? Uh But but they they knew they understood.
1: Yeah. Did you feel like there were any issues that were too much for that show that you thought mm, I don't know if we could do that, or was it the opposite? I.
2: Never wished to do, uh, you know, work on a subject that I'm racking my brain now uh, that I thought we shouldn't do or or there was some reason why we couldn't do or seems to me everything we wanted to do, we were able to do, ultimately.
1: Were you surprised when the show became a hit?
2: The surprise came in the kind of a hit it was, you know. I, I get that... I'm surprised every day Mm -hmm. because uh, I wrote a book recently, because there was a documentary. uh, There is a documentary that's out, just another version of you. Yes. Uh, People talk to me all the time about it. And I hear the things I used to hear then Uh differently. I'm older, smarter, been Mm -hmm. through more. So when... Uh, A Black Man Your Age uh, tells me that he watched a show with his family. Yes. When Russell Simmons told me that he saw George Jefferson write a check, Uh he was 10 years old or so, Yeah, he had never seen a black man write a check. Yeah, He didn't know a black man could write a check. Sure. He saw it on the Jeffersons, and it was a significant gift to him.
1: Well, there were so many... I'll still use the word subversive moments, I call it, because I had never seen it on TV. Not only seen it on TV, it wasn't allowed to happen in the culture, Norman. You had George Jefferson, who talked back to a white man constantly. Mm -hmm. And this white man represented the worst of America in that sense. I mean, that was liberating for me as a child to see him put Archie Mm -hmm. in his place. Um, Were you aware of, of how of how important that was at that time you were doing it or were you just in the middle of it, just like any showrunner just no, doing No,
2: I was, uh, you'll understand this. I mean, I was, you know, I was doing well, working my ass off yeah. to make a living for a growing the family. Weeds. I yeah. mean, that's what it was all about. Right, I no, happened to be, checks, yeah. I happened to be a serious man. Yeah. And I also learned that people laugh harder when they're caring more. Yeah. If you have them in a situation where they are really involved. Yes. And the, and, and a laugh comes it's huge it's big and that the the rocking movement of a large audience as it it steps out of it and moves forward and comes back is as spiritual as anything i've ever seen in a church
1: yeah and it's I, i think it doubles when it is about something um I mean, it's great to make an audience laugh for anything. It really is. Laughter is great. But when you know there's something else going on there, that there's really some meat that you can't wait for them to chew up and and have a good meal, (laughs) it feels so great, you know, to hear that laughter.
2: What was the worst moment you can remember for you as a black kid?
1: Oh, God. Just from being black? The worst moment for me, and I, I've talked about this in talks before, my brother and I, we were very young at the time. I couldn't have been more than seven or eight, I think. And it didn't dawn on me at the time how bad it was, but I know it affected me. So we heard police uh, banging on the house next door, on the door. And my brother and I, we kind of rushed to the window. And uh, the police officer said, and I'm not making this up, he said, freeze, nigga, dead. Like, freeze, nigga, dead. You know. <laughs> And uh, my brother and I, being the the minds that we have, we made fun of that for years. We made jokes about it, right? You know? But we kept making jokes about it, Norman. We we could never let that go. And I thought about that years later. Why mm-hmm. I couldn't leave, let that go, you know? And even in my work today, that phrase still haunts me. Racist
2: nigger dead. Well,
1: this is a person in authority who immediately dehumanizes an entire group of people Mm -hmm. and the word nigga and dead are back to back, you know, and that sent a message to me, like even at that young age, that this is just a different world for you. It's just different, you know, and you just better be, you just better be careful. Mm -hmm. And that affected me like, and it's funny because I still remembered viscerally, like even how it felt, how it hit me, you know? And, uh, like even today if i joke about things like race or talk about police brutality or that type of thing and my father was in law enforcement you know i had appreciation for how bad it was but i also knew what abuse felt like you know and mm. and institutional abuse and what that was so i would say that sticks out still the most to me mm. to this day so you know for me when i saw reflected on television you know, like when I saw Fred Sanford for the first time, a Sanford and son, you know, here was a guy who said a lot of things that we were thinking, like, Oh man, that there's nothing uglier than an old white lady. <laughs> like he would say that. <laughs> I mean it was it's like I can't believe he would say something like that. It was so stupid, you know, but it was yeah, but so funny. but he
2: yeah. he I often th- I have thought and said he could walk into a room and yes. tell you your mother was in car yes. that was you know, went up in a fire, or whatever that yes. he could say the worst thing and make you laugh. Well, his lobes were funny, his knuckles were funny, yes, his yes, he was funny. That was the
1: genius of Red Fox, yes. yes, yes. And uh, and that show broke a lot of ground for me, too. A lot of people, though, compared Fred Sanford to Archie Bunker. I didn't think that was a fair comparison, no comparison, yeah, no. because different. yeah, absolutely, Fred Sanford's if you could call it bigotry, <laughs> was completely rooted in a system that made him a junk man in the first place. Uh-huh. You know, where Archie's Archie felt he had a great life and had a life of privilege and everything. He never viewed his circumstance, you know, as less than unless he was being compared to a minority that had it better than him. Yeah.
2: Or you know? yeah, unless yes. there was something that yes wasn't you know from the past yes when the, uh, the and even then the minority moving in next door yeah what's the future he didn't understand he
1: couldn't stand and couldn't it and george it. owned his job you know and all <laughs> yeah. of those types of things couldn't take it you know um and it's funny uh, uh mod was a show that i, I thought was uh, very interesting too because uh, feminism was something that splashed on television in the 70s mm-hmm. in a way that had never been on TV. You talked about it once in an interview I saw where you said one of the reasons why you wanted to write these shows because the biggest problem a woman would have was burning the roast.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right? the boys is coming to dinner and the roast is
1: burned. Yes. Yeah, yes I mean, can yes. you imagine that that's the complication? And yet you had an episode dealing with abortion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um how, how did you decide to do that? Or I don't know if you were involved in the writing of that particular episode, but do you remember well, you know, we, how that we, came
2: about? We, uh, it was written, or the idea came up on One Day at a Time, uh-huh. uh, where Bonnie Franklin was raped, or threatened with rape, however we turned the script out. Yeah, okay. Th- this indicates exactly how we were working in those days. Right. It was originally an idea for, on One Day at a Time, the writers on One Day at a Time. And we hadn't really written the script, but we were talking about it, mm-hmm. and uh, and then somebody in the uh, uh, the All in the Family meetings, a writer, mm-hmm. uh, talked about this woman in her seventies who had just been raped. Wow! And we all sat there and said, you know, or I sat there because I was on the one on both shows. Mm-hmm. And so how much more interesting is to do it with an older woman, who, not Bonnie Franklin, but with Edith Bunker, yeah. who wasn't in her 70s, but right. uh, in her 60s. And, and so we did it. Yeah. and I remember
1: uh, that. I'd never seen anything like that on television. In fact, I, I don't think a network would do that today on television. I wonder.
2: I think you're probably on a Netflix not, or a Hulu. Or,
1: yes, but not on network television. Yeah, you were no. you on CBS. You yeah. were on the Tiffany Network.
2: <laughs> you know? The Tiffany Network. Yeah.
1: yeah, they wouldn't let Stephen Colbert bleep a joke. You know, he's under FCC investigation for a bleep joke from mm-hmm. last week.
2: Those were the
1: days. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the, uh, but I don't, here's the other thing. To have, you say you're a serious man, you know, and those serious subjects. How did you have the confidence to know you can be entertaining with those subjects and and have uh and have people know
2: that because i was uh I was a great student mm-hmm. I didn't know this at the time, but I was a great student of burlesque oh really at Emerson College mm-hmm. in Boston, when there was a Scully square, which uh-huh. is a downtown square, there was a theater there called the old howard
1: yeah
2: and it was the most it was the preeminent burlesque theater in america mm-hmm. uh i believe. I used to go every single Saturday, and I would watch the straight men and the uh, comics uh-huh. and learn so much from what they were teaching us. And as a matter of fact, I've often thought, if you look at our culture, mm-hmm. this, the, the straight man was always somebody, to think of Abbott and Costello, who, who knew everything. Right. And he was positive about everything. Yep. And he had the comic bumping into walls. Yes, with his advice, you know, the comic was smashing himself in the walls while the while, while the straight yeah. man had
1: everything. Carl Reiner, by the way, one of the best and funniest straight men ever.
2: Yes, yeah. So yeah. I'm just a few days yeah. ago. Uh, I think of t- of our uh, culture today mm-hmm. as leadership is the straight man, and we, the people, are the comics. Uh-huh. And the straight men are full of shit, and they're giving us the wrong advice, and they're taking us in the wrong division, and they want everything for themselves, and they have us bumping into walls. Uh-huh. Perfect metaphor, in my view. Perfect right. metaphor.
1: Do you see Trump as Archie Bunker today? This lovable bigot?
2: Well, I don't happen to see anything lovable about Trump. I know, Donald but Trump. he became so, president, so, a lot, so
1: of, like a lot of people, when I mean lovable, it feels like a lot of people excuse there's things that would get any other president kicked out of office. You know, the casual lying, like not even good lying. We're talking the casual lying yeah. about about if the sky is blue type of lying.
2: Here's the way I, in this conversation, I am matching Trump and and uh, and Archie. Mm-hmm. Archie had a relationship with his daughter. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest scenes in the history of that show was when she lost a baby. Yeah. And he came into the bedroom. I remember Mm her. But in the worst of, uh, the most severe of arguments, there was no doubt about his love for that little girl. Yeah. And he made that clear just in every way, every attitude of his body. Mm -hmm. Then I matched that, or I think of that, with the moment, uh, which I could never forget, of Ivanka and Donald Trump on a couch talking to a television host.
0: The
2: mm-hmm. host asks Ms. I, uh, Trump, Ivanka, uh what what, what do you th- what do you, you and your dad have most in common? Right. She thought for a moment, she said
0: either real estate or golf. Donald with your daughter?
2: Well, I was going to say sex, but I can't relate <laughs> that. And that was the first thing out of his mouth. And yeah. that, you know, that moment I could never forget. Yeah, he even said, "Look, if she wasn't
1: my daughter, hey, you know, I'm,
2: I might." Yes, uh, in another conversation, there yeah. was there there was that. So, I don't know, Archie and Edith. He seemed so sure of himself, yeah. and you know, on top of the the family. Yes, but she was the strength. Yes, and uh, we 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 dealt with that in a two-part episode where she lost her faith in God because right. somebody was killed and she couldn't imagine a God that would see that happen. Right. And then we couldn't figure out how she regained her strength. It took weeks and weeks of thinking about it until finally somebody said, well, wait a minute, when she lost her faith, what happened to Archie? And hmm. we all realized to a person, if she if she lost her strength and her her faith, therefore her faith, yeah. her strength, Archie would fall to pieces. Yeah.
1: That's how she regains it. And it's interesting that when she did go, when she did leave the show, it just wasn't quite the same without, uh, well, without not only the character, Edith, but the actress, Jean Stapleton, who is underrated, I think, in terms of the powerhouses of American television comedy. Like, you hear a lot of the names spoken, rightly so, the Carol Burnett's, the Mm -hmm. Lucille Balls, but you rarely hear... You know Gene Stapleton as someone who was not only influential at the time, but was a powerhouse actor and, powerhouse. and, and comedian, and her timing was impeccable. Um, it's funny, you know, dealing with agnosticism and atheism. Also, did you develop a show called Religion or something like that during that a time? A film, a film called Religion. A okay, film. Okay, tell me about that. What was that? Well, it
2: it didn't ha- it hasn't happened yet. Oh, okay. Would you believe you're asking me a question? I pulled out three boxes uh-huh. i had them bring from storage yeah. at beacons they brought me three boxes mm-hmm. of notes and scripts and 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 so forth on us on the subject called religion yes because yeah, i i've ached yeah. to make this film mm-hmm. and we never got the script right what do you think is
1: uh, our issue today what if you were just starting fresh And wanted to put a show on television, and you wanted there was an issue that you felt had to be on television today. What needs to be there that isn't there?
2: Is there anything? What What is the important issue today? I don't know that I can narrow it to an issue, Mm -hmm. but understanding our common humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting here, a white man, a black man. (laughs) The white man is a Jew, so he's uh, in a lot of eyes not as worthy as a white man who wasn't, wow. and certainly the black man isn't as worthy as the white man yeah. in uh, much of the culture. And we have not learned yet uh, who we are in terms of our common humanity. That's mm-hmm. why the story I told you about the you know watching bombs fall, yeah, and not giving a shit, mm-hmm. uh, on. Un- yeah at the at the moment that that I could have so many times not given a damn at such a moment is unthinkable. yeah, but it helps me understand that I have to try to understand the next guy. Yeah, you know, this will help people understand more what I'm talking about. I thought I have thought from the day I had my first child. Uh-huh. if somebody seriously harmed this child. I could drive the hours it might take me to find the son of a bitch and kill him in front of his family. I can relate to that. But I don't want to be that person.
1: Uh,
2: And thank heaven again I've not been tested, don't ever wish to be tested. But it helps me to have grown older (laughs) enough or been through enough to to get that message, to hear that these feelings can exist in me for only an instant, I have to struggle to understand the other guy better. Mm
1: -hmm. Are you 95?
2: I'll be 95 in July. At 95, do you Norman Lear, do you have hope? Oh, I don't want to wake up the morning I don't have hope. Mm -hmm. Do not wish to wake up the morning I'm without hope. Mm -hmm. No, I go to bed uh, thinking of the taste of coffee the next morning, the (laughs) look of the... Mm-hmm. Times when I, you know, I love coffee and the paper. And you? Always. Um, hope and gratitude. I
1: try to have gratitude kind of lead the way. You know, you know whenever, whenever I get lost or whenever, you know, I'm having whatever those feelings are, gratitude is what
2: pulls me out of it. Great theologian, Martin Marty at the mm-hmm. University of Chicago. Great friend and mm-hmm. great theologian. Uh we were walking in Vermont, and just just the two of us through the woods. And I said, Marty, give me the shortest. <laughs> He's written seventy books. I sure. don't know. Give me the shortest, the the uh, shortest description or the shortest for worship. What's the? Sh- he said one word, Norman: gratitude.
1: There you go. Well, I am very grateful that you've decided to sit here with me for this time. It's been such a pleasure. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. And, w- and
2: we will do it again because I, Absolutely. too, am, have a podcast. And yes. you know that?
1: I can't to- wait to be. And what, what's the name of your podcast? The, uh, All of the Above. All of the Above, with, ladies and with gentlemen. With Norman Lear. With Norman Lear. Norman, has been a pleasure. Please do Religion. Please do that movie.
2: I... Um, as recently as a few <laughs> hours ago, yeah, was looking at some materials from way, way back. Great. Well, I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to
1: see all our next projects. Norman Lear, everybody. Uh, everybody, Larry <laughs> Wilmore. <laughs> Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.